Welcome to Malcolm Reed's How to Barbecue Right, a podcast where we talk about barbecue, share recipes, and discuss all things delicious. And now, here's your host, Malcolm and Rochelle Reed. Hey, welcome back to the How to Barbecue Right podcast. This is episode number 12. I'm your host, Malcolm Reed, and I'm joined by my lovely wife, Rochelle, as always. Rochelle, what's happening today? Not much, Mal. Well, a lot, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's always a lot going on in our life. No, we've uh, we're, we've been really busy this week because we're getting ready to, to go out of town and do a little catering event. We don't do a lot of catering events, but... Uh, this is something special. Yeah. We, we're, we're going to um, Bristol, Tennessee... Cooking at the NHRA drag races this weekend yeah. up in Bristol, Tennessee. Are we cooking actually inside the? the we are. Way? We're we're gonna be uh, in the pits cooking for uh, Robert Height, and uh, he's he's a part of John Force Racing. He's actually John Force's son-in-law, and we we were invited to come up and and do some cooking for the teams, uh, all of Force Racing. So I think they've got like four teams. It's like fifty-five people. We've got to cook. Uh, lunch and dinner for Friday and Saturday, and then I think we're going to do a breakfast and a lunch on Sunday, and it'll be time to pack up and come back home. So yeah. it's going to be an exciting weekend. It's like six total meals we're cooking. Yeah. We've got some good stuff lined up. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We, uh, we're we leaving out first thing in the morning. Early, way before sunrise. we got to get on the road. we got to be there tomorrow afternoon. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a unique experience. Hopefully, we get some good pictures. I'm ready to see those race cars, man. I've never been to an NHRA event. I know you're probably not excited about it, but it's going to be loud and it's going to be fast. <laughs> I don't really know what to Heart expect. pounding action. <laughs> I've been told I need to get some earplugs. Yeah, so. I'm going to have to get you some, some <laughs> earplugs and some like ear muffs. You're going to need to double up on these cars because, man, they, they put out some uh, decibels. Well, let's jump in and talk about a recipe this week. Hey, yeah, we had a. I wanted to do something, you know, I've kind of touched on it a little bit last week, uh, but I did another dessert. I, mean, I hadn't done a whole lot, I've done a few desserts on the like grill. One or two. Yeah, but I thought it was time, good time to do another one. Fourth of July coming up, so yeah. why you know, people might want to add that to the little barbecue repertoire. Yeah, they so, can't all be tomahawks. No, they can't, uh, yeah, they can't all be tomahawks. No. <laughs> but no, I wanted to do a. Um, Cat, you know, I love cooking with cast iron on the grill, so I thought a pineapple upside down cake would be a great way to do it. And my mom always done them in like bunt pans, and it was that classic pineapple upside down cake with the you know the pineapples on top, the cherries in the middle, and all that. So I just took that and kind of made it in my cornbread skillet, and it, you know it's a perfect size skillet. It's like a little medium size. I don't know. It's probably nine and a half, ten inch cast iron pan I, yeah. I say it's a medium size yeah. but but you can do it in a cake pan too you can do it and in pretty much anything i mean the recipe is super simple oh yeah. all, I mean, all it was melt some butter and put it in the skillet sprinkle some brown sugar on it throw your pineapples down you know put your cherries in there however you want to mix up a real quick cake batter i mean you could even use a box cake yeah and my mom used to do that a lot of times just for speed uh, I, I went with just all-purpose flour a little baking powder salt I, but I did use some buttermilk, which gives it a little bit more of an acidity, kind of a, that twang flavor. And it made it, it made the cake taste really, really good. You balance it out because there's a lot of, I mean, you put almost a cup of brown sugar in the bottom. You in know? the bottom, yeah. It was almost a cup in the bottom, a whole cup of white sugar in the cake mix. So that was sweet. And that buttermilk did balance it out. I needed yeah. a couple eggs just to kind of bind it all together. That was it. I mean, that's, that's, it's simple. You didn't get any easier than that. You mix that up. Get the cooker going about 350 degrees. I did it on my Traeger. 
Um, you know, you're not really putting smoke on it, you're cooking at that temp. It's, it's just like using an oven. You're just not heating your house up. You're outside cooking in it. You could have did it on any kind of grill, just as long as it's indirect heat and holding it 350. Well, uh, pellet pellet grill, grills are ideal for it because yeah. they're going to stay there. I mean, pellet not, grills are perfect for cooking desserts. But what if you um, your cooker doesn't get up to 350? You probably need to do it in the oven because it's not going <laughs> to bake. <laughs> We're, I mean, you got to think, this is it's dessert baking. It, you're really... You're making bread. I mean, the yeah. cake is bread, so you got you to have the higher temp. You could have done it for an hour and a half. You know, I'm not a baker, and I don't, <laughs> so I really can't answer that. I don't know. I never tried it. I know one thing: you can't broil the cake because I've seen somebody try that. But, you know what? <laughs> the element was out. The bottom element was out of the of the thing, and I've decided. Well, I'll turn the broiler on and heat the oven up. And then turn it off and let the cake cook and then turn it back on and let it broil some more and turn it off. It don't work, Shell. It does not work. I figured that out. I was very young. <laughs> but anyway, no, I, I would stick to, when you're baking, it's, you know, baking's more about sticking to a technique. Yeah. And you got to use those times and temps when you're baking. That's just how it works. Now, could, it, could you get away with 325 or 375? Probably so. But if you drop down lower than 300 yeah. degrees and try to bake... I don't see it working. I think you would be there all day trying to get that cake done at 2. I don't know if it would ever, you know, yeah. the outside would get right before it got dry. And I would yeah. just, I'd be real skeptical of it. I mean, I've never tried it, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise it. And you know. I mean, 350 is not that hard on a grill. It's, it's kind of like a medium high temp. I yeah. mean. I just know a lot of those electric smokers and stuff don't get up that high because yeah. people will send in questions a lot of times. Well, you know, we're going to answer a lot of those questions. That's kind of what we're going to do in this podcast yeah. today is answer questions. But, yeah, you're right. And this 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 recipe wouldn't be for, like, an electric smoker that has limits of, of how high it can get. You really do need to cook on, I mean, some, a, a, you know, an egg, a ceramic grill. Uh, even a drum would do it with a diverter in there. But any, any cooker that you can get up, to that 350 range, which is hot and fast when you're thinking of smoking, mm -hmm. but you definitely want indirect heat because you don't want, you know, you don't want to burn it on bottom, and that's what's going to happen if you got too much direct heat on it. And you know, you talked about adding a diverter to a UDS. Um, you can use a cheap pizza pan. Oh yeah, we've done, we've that. done that. You know, most of those drums have a lower rack setting, which is closer to that firebox. Um, one of those thin pizza pans. I've used the perforated ones. You know, that have the holes in it. A pizza stone works as a great diverter. Um, I mean, I think wrap it in full. Yeah, put it on wrap it in there. full. Put it on there just to keep it clean enough. Just make easy. sure you have plenty of airflow around yep. the side. I've even set, you know, I've even set a pan in there and put water in it just to kind of, kind of. It's not really a water cooker. It's just like a heat sink. Mm -hmm. It's a heat. It diverts the heat around to the side. So yeah, keeps it that would work on a drum setup. Um, then you know, with the pineapples, you just kind of laid your rings in there and put your cherries inside the rings, but. You can get real creative with the design, you you know. Uh, yeah, you know, I checked design. out. I, I always do a little research on the recipes I'm doing, make sure I'm not copying anybody or anything. And I saw some cool stuff. There was, uh, you know, some people that, that use fresh pineapples. That was a way to do it. There's some, uh, you could take those pineapple slices and kind of cut them in half and turn them on their sides. And like you said, make some designs in like it. a flower or something. Yeah, you could spread the cherries out. I think that, you know, of course, the pineapple and cherries was good, but man, you could play the same cake recipe. You could do all kinds of stuff with the butter and the brown sugar. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could put nuts in there. Yeah. I mean, you could put different kinds of fruit. You could, you know, it, it got me to thinking about what other kind of upside down cakes could I make? Because I love what my favorite part really 
was that crusty edge that the butter and the brown sugar does. It, was. it almost reminded me of like a cobbler topping that's real buttery and crispy. Yeah. And so I was thinking, man, I could, you know, do some different stuff with that and not just, you know, use pineapple. You yeah. could, you could, all kinds of flavors. To be honest with you, the least favorite part of the pineapple upside down cake is the pineapple. Oh, you are, you're not a fan of the pineapple? <laughs> no. I like, I personally like pineapple, but I could see it going a bunch of different ways. Could you use like blueberries? Yeah, I don't see why not. Bake a blueberry upside down cake. Yeah. I mean, any I think anything that would go with, what doesn't go with butter and brown sugar, yeah. kind of caramelly tasting. I mean, that, strawberries. Yeah, maybe, I would, I I would say just about any kind of fruit. Apples would be great. Pears would be great. You or, or peaches would be great. Yeah, the apples would be really yeah, good. That would be really good. Sl- be like an apple upside the end, down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, I mean, there, there's all kinds of ways you could go with that. Yeah. And it, another thing, it would be really good with some ice cream on top. I was thinking that, you know, man, I should have got some ice cream, scooped it on top. It would have made a good picture anyway. Or, you know, some whipped cream. Like, you, you know, even the canned stuff would probably be good on yeah, it. Yeah, you but can whip up your own make whipped your own cream. Whipping cream. Really yeah, that would have been good on it. I mean, it's a simple, simple dessert that you can do outside. And it, it's, it goes good for barbecues and anybody can make it. Yeah, it You can get the cool. kids to make that. Yeah. I mean, you didn't need, I didn't need any mixer or anything like that. I just used a whisk, whisked the batter up and. What was the total cook time on it? it I don't even think it was an hour. I checked it at the 45-minute mark, and, you know, that toothpick came out clean out of the center, and that's what I said. I'm calling it. I mean, I've seen, um, you know, some people say it takes an hour, hour and ten, but I would suggest checking it after 40, 45 minutes. Just like no oven cooks the same inside when you're baking, so and you're checking those, you know, you're checking stuff in it, same with your smokers. You just, you know, do the old toothpick trick, see if it comes out clean, and... That's the easiest way. Well, um, I always ask, was there anything you'd do different or anything you'd change about that recipe? Give me some ice cream to go with it. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's still some of it left unless Michael got a hold of it in there. I need to... No, there's some of it left. I was going to um, pass it on to a friend. You know, it would definitely reheat good too, though. I think you could pop it in the microwave oh, back yeah. in the oven, let, yeah. the, let the butter and sugar warm back up on it. Yeah. Put your little ice cream on it when it's still warm. See, I, yeah, I personally like that one warm. It's not one that... And that cast iron holds so much heat, you know, it it, it uh, keeps it keeps it warm for a while when you take it out and serve it. So it's really good. And that's why I think it would be good with ice cream because I like ice cream on my cobbler. So yeah. I was like, man, that'd be good with that. Yeah, it'd be a great dessert for picnics, July 4th, barbecues, you know, when you have folks over. Um, so this week we're going to pick up with uh, most common barbecue questions, part two. Um, yeah, we... we I think we had some uh, good questions last time, and that's something we wanted to start kind of incorporating more often because yeah. we, <laughs> I would say a big percentage of our free, our, not our free time, but our time is spent answering questions on emails, Facebook, Twitter. Where else do we answer them? We, we try on YouTube when we put out a video. There get so, there get yeah. so many on YouTube. Usually, you could spend a day or two just doing that if yeah. you wanted to. Usually um, we answer questions the first day, two days after we release the video on that particular video, and then um, it just gets overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, even going down the road, you're, you're looking on the phone, my phone yeah, and saying, normally, okay, let's answer this while I'm driving. <laughs> that's normally how we do it is um, when we're driving or to a contest or, or wherever, is I'll get the laptop out and um, answer questions, ask him the question and answer for him as we're going down the road. So, so you know the answer to most of these just from, from doing it repetitively. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, 
So let's jump right in. Sure, I'm ready. Um, ask, ask away, Shell. Someone had a really great question at, about selecting meats in the grocery store. Like when you actually walk in there um, and say, okay, I'm looking for ribs or I'm looking for pork butts, you know, let's take it meat by meat. What are you looking for when you walk in the grocery store and, and they're buying a slab of ribs? Well, starting with ribs, I'm looking for kind of even, even slabs, you know, the same thickness all the way across. Um, I like the bones to be straight, so I'm gonna flip over. Um, I'm gonna flip the racks over and kind of see which way the bones is running. I just, I think it makes for a prettier rib to have, you know, light bones running in the same direction. Cause you see some of those racks and the bones are kind of angled and they're spread out. They might be thick on one end and they thin out to almost nothing on the other end, and that's just waste. So, I, so if they're even, especially like for doing comps, I really want them even all the way across. But that's, I mean, that's pretty much what I look for if I'm going, I mean, you can, you can look through the package, see the marbling, you know, you want a, you want a decent marbled rib. I don't want one with a ton of fat on the top because I'm going to trim that fat down some, but then that also creates shiners and that's where the bone sticks through and, you know, there's no meat there. So all you're seeing is that bone, it makes it want to fall apart. It doesn't look good. It doesn't go in a box good. Now, if they're eating ribs, you know, sometimes I'll just grab whatever but again another thing i usually don't don't get the rex ribs that are kind of to the top to me that's just a personal thing they've been in the, in the warmer part of the cooler i like to get the ones down in there and so I, a lot of times i'll go to sam's or costco or um you know somewhere where they've got a lot of meat to choose from because you know you can go in kroger and they might have you know five or six racks out and that's it and you might you might can ask the butcher to go out and get some more but a lot of times you know they're there's not enough room in their meat cases to put out a lot of stuff for one. So I like, you know, so I just like to dig through Sam's cooler. A lot of times I find better meat, I think, at Sam's and Costco. You can always ask the butcher too. Yeah. You well, do, you I know, I try to, they, they see me in there all the time, especially at Kroger. So those butchers, they get to know you. I mean, they like, hey, you back again? What are you cooking this week? You know? Yeah. And so they'll tell me, look, hey, I just put out this or... We got some good butts, and I found some really good stuff at Kroger. I mean, I just I'm I'm one of those guys that I'm going to the meat department when I get to a store. Whether you're yeah. there for meat or yeah. not, yeah. Whether yeah. I'm there for the meat or not, I'm going to go through see if they got anything on sale. So, I mean, there's been times where something's caught my eye. I mean, I walk, might walk through there and see just the perfect brisket laying there. You don't think I'm going to grab it? Heck yeah, I might put it in the freezer, but <laughs> one jumps out at me, I'm getting it. What about butts? How do uh, you uh, pick butts? Well, usually for butts, I'm looking for money muscles. That's the main thing, and so I'm, for comps, yeah, for comps. Even if I'm cooking them at home, I just think that butt with a good money muscle on it's usually a pretty good butt all the way across. And the money muscle is that muscle that's right in the front, farthest away from the bone. And what I do is I'll grab the actual pack. People look at me like I'm crazy. I'm squeezing on these butts and packs, and you know they're walking by. I'm like, what's this fool doing? So they're squeezing this meat. <laughs> I've got it in my hand, and I want to feel all the way across it. See if it's got that little tough cartilage in the end. See if you know it's uniform all the way across. If it looks like it's marbled up, doesn't have too much fat on that money muscle. I want to you know want to clean it up. But um, that's that's what I look for in butts. Um, brisket. Brisket. I you know a lot of times I order my brisket, but when I do buy briskets from from the store, I want one that's. Uh, you know, you might it might sound a little crazy, but I want it to have a little age on it. I want it to be flexible. I don't want it stiff in the package because that means it's going to be a little bit more tender brisket. It's had time to break down a little bit. Now, I don't want the package that's all, you know, you can tell it's got some air in there and it's all loose and all that. I don't, I'm not looking for that. 
I'm just looking for it to bend. So what I'll do is I'll just take my, you know, the grocery cart. It's a great way to do it. Set that brisket on the edge of the grocery cart and see if it'll kind of bend over. That's how you know it's going to be tender. Uh, I want the flat and the point to be pretty close to the same size. You know, like a decent thickness in the flat. Um, I don't really get hung up. You, you really can't tell if it's got butcher cuts or anything in the package. But um, that's, I mean, you know, if it's got a uniform thickness, the flat looks good. Um, looks like it does have some decent fat on it. That's what I'm going for in brisket. What about steaks? Well, it depends on the steak. Usually I'm going by marbling. Um, you know, there's so many good, I, love, I haven't met a bad steak cut. So, <laughs> so I'm really I'm really going by marbling and depending on how big a steak I want to cook is for guests. I try to usually get them in the 16 ounce range, whether I'm cooking ribeyes or strips or whatever. You know, that's, that's the size I go for. Uh, I don't like to get steaks right out of the meat counter. I like to go to the butcher, uh, you know, actually where they've got them on display. I just think those are fresher steaks. Those guys, are, most of the time, they're, they're cutting those in the back. Uh, and I can look through them and see more. I'll get the guy to bring them out. I'll get him to flip them. I'll get the butcher to flip them over. I want to see what it looks like on the back side of the steak, too, not just the top side. Um, and, you know, Big spinalis? Yeah. I mean, if I'm looking for ribeye, I want, you know, the spinalis is the best part. That's that little piece of muscle that wraps around the front. Um, you know, just you want, a, you want a decent cut of steak that's that looks like it has good marbling. It's... It's got a good rich red color to it, you know. It doesn't look like it's been injected with dye or anything. It's not fake looking. And just, you know, pick out a decent decent cut. Any other meats? Well, I mean, chicken, you know. I'll, chicken's a big one where I've been, you know, no, I don't care how good you get at picking it out. It's uh, It can still burn you sometimes. You don't know how long it's been sitting in that counter. And a lot of times, we, once again, we buy it from Kroger a lot of times. And... If it's the summer like this and they're in those coolers that are kind of out in the aisle, the open ones, I dig down in the bottom to get that cold chicken because I've, I've got some of the top chicken before and brought it home. It's like, man, it looked good in the package, but then it run you out of the kitchen as soon as you open it. So it's hard. I mean, they well, like say, you said, you don't know who's picked it up. Drove you it don't know if it rode right around the store <laughs> and they restocked it or what. So I try to go for that bottom coldest, coldest pieces. When we're buying thighs, a lot of times you'll go, you know, this is just for comps, but we cook uh, chicken thighs and comps. You'll go pick those up for me. So what, I mean, what do you look for? You can answer that one. When I'm, chicken, when I'm picking um, chicken for comps, I'm looking for, we buy thighs, and there's 12 in a package. Um, I get three packages. 36. With 36 pieces, and I'm getting 36 pieces to get 12 pieces. That's what we cook is 12. So um, I'm looking for the biggest packages possible. Because typically, uh, I want big pieces of thighs so I can cut them down to what I'm wanting them to be. So I need the biggest thighs possible, and typically those are in the heaviest weighted packages as possible. Yeah. So that's what I'm looking for. And you don't want anything that's got too much, like you said, too much juice in there, too much air in there. Those are probably a little older, and you do not want <laughs> to open that up. No, no, you're definitely right. It'll run you out of the kitchen. There was one time... Oh, I was trimming comp chicken, and I had a cold, so my nose was all stopped up and stuff, and I was, I'd gone to the store, brought it home, started trimming comp chicken, and you came in and said, what's, what's this smell in here? I was like, I thought I smelled something funny, but I couldn't tell. <laughs> yeah, bad chicken. And I was yeah, you'll know it. If, it. if there's any question on chicken, I throw it away. I mean, it's, yeah, I don't take it's any chance it. on it. Yeah. I mean, we like to pick a good brand of chicken, too, not just, you know, anything. We usually look for the natural stuff, the you know the heritage yeah. bread chicken, all natural, and it, it just seems like it's 
better chicken, better yeah. quality. And I mean, there's some good chicken out there, like you know, Springer Mountain Farms. If you order it, I mean, that great chicken. Uh, I'm seeing we see it in a few of our grocery stores now, and so I'll lean towards that sometimes too. But especially that's just a little comp comp tip. Yeah. Buy the bigger pieces of chicken. That way you can trim them down to the size you want. Yeah, because like, I want them uniform. That's the deal. Yeah. You want all your chicken. I weigh my chicken. I actually put it on a little scale and weigh the comp chicken so they're all within the same, within 0.5 ounces of each other. Yeah. Um, well, you know they're cooking, yeah. right? And you can always cut. You can take a 10-ounce piece of thigh and cut it down to a 6-ounce. Right. So, Is that what size you go for, like 6? Is that 5, yes. 8, 6? 5, 8, 6 ounces yeah, is what I'm what shooting want. for. Yeah. That's a, that's a nice, big thigh. It is. Yeah. It's a nice plump piece of chicken, well, but it's not too big. But we want the judges to have a big piece of chicken. Mm -hmm. It seems to me like it holds more juice, yeah. gives them more to bite. I don't like the little pieces of chicken. Um, so speaking of chicken, we have some. We always get questions about smoking chicken and how how to smoke chicken properly, especially breasts. Well, my big thing is we we've learned just over cooking all this competition chicken that it, the. The chicken does better at a little bit higher temp. I mean, even when I'm doing whole turkeys, you know, for Thanksgiving, I'm cooking chicken 275 to 300. It does better. It, it, poultry. The, the poultry, <laughs> yeah, the poultry. When I'm cooking it, I'm cooking it 275 to 300 just because it, the, the, the larger pieces cook really even. Uh, the skin gets right at those temps. You can get that bites through skin. That whole myth of, of crispy chicken skin for what we're doing, this really is just kind of a myth. Yeah. What it really is is bite through skin. Now, there are ways if you wanted to try to make crispy chicken, but you'd have to really, yeah, that's a whole other topic. But but that's not what we're trying to do when we're making good eating chicken. We're just talking about smoking chicken, even if it's, you know, the classic beer can chicken. I'm cooking 275 to 300. The skin turns out great. The big part of the breast, that thick part, cooks at the same rate as the thighs, as the legs at those temps. So it's just even across. And it lets me, you know, turn out a better product that's done all the way. You don't have to worry about cutting it and there being blood running out and all that. I mean, you know, I'm cooking breast to 165, thighs to 175 at minimum. That's where they go. Uh, Thighs are more forgiving. You can yeah. take them a lot higher. I mean, we've, even in comps, you know, we cook them in butter, and they go up to 190 sometimes. They might but the dark meat is more forgiving. It's juicier. But, um, you know, One thing uh, really them. I'm talking about cooking whole chickens is where that's the trickier piece to cook because you got to get the breasts and thighs done at the same time. So cooking them at 275 to 300, it, they cook perfect, you know, turn out perfect every time. If you're cooking those large breasts, like, you know, the supermarket bone-in, skin-on, big breast, cook them at 275 to 300, they'll turn out perfect on the grill. The skin will be just right. Always make sure your skin's really, really dry before you season it. Yeah, yeah. And spray it with cooking spray. That's it. And yeah. Yeah, with, the, with the fat, because that oil or whatever that fat is butter, is what's going to yeah. help it cook. Butter, it's a great fat. Hey, mayonnaise. It's got so much oil in yeah. it. It'll work. Yeah. <laughs> the boiled it mayonnaise. Yeah. <laughs> but that'll work. It really will. I mean, it, it makes the skin good. That's To me, that's when I'm eating, you know, chicken. I'm, I'm The skin's one of the best parts. That's where all your seasoning is. Mm -hmm. And if you get it to where it's melting your mouth, bite through skin. I'm not talking about the slap around. Which, you know, it's got rubber band yeah. texture. I hate that. Well, the comp chicken that we have, it's almost like it, the, the chicken skin so well has melted down into the chicken almost right. it, it's almost like it becomes part of the chicken mm -hmm. it doesn't pull away it's just a perfect bite through um and when you're c talking about smoking chicken 
you might want to put it in a butter bath, you know? Hey, I, I'm all for it. I mean, it's, <laughs> is it extra calories? Probably, yeah. But, I mean, your doctor going to hate you? Yeah. But but the, what it is, cooking in that fat just makes it moist. It makes yeah. it juicy. It helps cook that skin. And, it, man, you're not going to dry it out. And you can't cook a whole chicken in a butter bath. But. Well, you could. Vat <laughs> <laughs> of butter. But, no, I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of like the the way, what when they cook all that, what, what's it called? I'm looking for a word. I just lost it. Um, confit. Confit. Yeah. You know, that's cooking in fat. That's a cl classic, French. like, French way of cooking. And they, you know, duck, they'll cook in duck fat. They'll, you know, you can cook in all kinds of different fat. And we've played with it. We've, you know, we've played with doing our comp stuff in duck fat. Or we've even used lard. That you know, you can buy that in the Mexican section. It's got that bucket of white, white lard. And man, that that stuff's good for chicken. But what I found on it is it makes it so rich, and the flavor is so over the top that I think that, that scared judges off. Yeah. Like, what they do to this chicken? It's like the duck fat. I think yeah. it was too unique the flavor was a little unique and it was a little greasier yeah, yeah. well but it, but it made it so tender yeah. cooking in that fat made it so tender because so you can take it the butter now. it just breaks it down yeah and that's i mean quality butter most people use parquet yeah. just because it's easy um and all it is is what hydrogenated oil or what, yeah. whatever they call it i mean it can't be good for you but i mean I, we I, use it because it you can buy it in the plastic squeeze bottle throw it in the cooler Squeeze it in your pan, throw it away. We're not dealing with sticks of butter, unwrap it and all that. But for, we have kind of... For our chicken, we... I'm going to give you a little these. little secret. We switched to the Kerrygold sometime back. That Irish cream butter. Man, it's a little more expensive, but them chicken, stopped, them chicken calls started coming, didn't they? Well, yeah. I don't know if it's the <laughs> butter that helped or either the, the person cooking it, because our chicken cook, man, she's <laughs> badass. <laughs> So, what is the most underrated cut of meat, in your opinion? Most underrated cut of meat. Hmm. Man, it might be a flat iron steak. I'm telling you. Because I love part. a flat yeah. iron. And when the thing is, you can't overcook them. When you go past medium, they're not very good. They're, they get tough. You know, they dry out. But a good, rare flat iron cook, I mean... You could usually get them for eight or nine bucks at the grocery store, and Slice it in. we we eat them for dinner. You know, I yeah. cook, I'll go out, I'll fire up the grill, we'll marinate a flat iron, throw it in there, and cook it. Eat it with a salad for dinner, and it's enough for three of us. You know, mm -hmm. me and you and Michael to make a really good meal off of. And he what do they usually? It. They usually weigh about, I don't know, a little over a pound. Yeah. They're not they're not two pounds. I mean, they're you know they're thin. What's um, the cook time on one of those? I've got them down Eight to minutes. no. Well, usually it's about ten to twelve. That's what I go for. I still do the same, you know, two minutes, two minutes, two minutes, two minutes, and then I usually just move it over to the indirect side a little bit and watch it creep up, or I'll put it on a little raised rack. But that flat iron is really you underrated. Say watch it creep up. You mean the internal tent? Yeah, the internal yeah. tent. Watch it because I, I really like to get them off about one twenty-two to one twenty-five, no more, and then let it rest a little bit. And then when I slice it, I kind of use the knife and hold it a little bit at an angle, kind of a biased, and then slice it and make thin slices, and it kind of makes those strips a little bit taller on the flat iron. And, man, it is good. You'd think it's tri-tip yeah. a lot of times. And I, I'm guessing they cut those from the chuck area. I really don't know where that flat iron steak comes from. I've never really researched where it comes from on the cow, but I'm thinking it's like a chuck steak. 
and it's just a real tender, you know, real lean. There's not there's not any bone or gristle or cartilage in it. And man, they're good. I like a flat iron. But it's quick. It is quick. It's perfect for a salad. We'll serve it with a big salad, put it on top. It's great for tacos. Yeah. We can do all kinds of stuff with it. I mean, hey, I've even seen it on the menu at some restaurants. Mm -hmm. They'll serve, you know, you can just get a flat iron and eat it. But definitely don't go over medium rare with it. If you want your steak past, you know, medium in that range, go get your ribeye, something that's going to stay juicy, or just cook you a hamburger. <laughs> I don't even want to eat my hamburger past medium. <laughs> no, but I mean, for real, you, you don't want a real lean steak if you're going to cook it past that because you cooked all the flavor out of it, and you're just, I don't know, eating well-done tissue at that point. <laughs> it's not... It's not it doesn't, to me, it doesn't have any taste. It doesn't have any flavor. Well, um, how hot should your grate be when you're cooking steaks? Or your grill? I, I like, you know, I, you know I buy, I've got one of these little infrared surface thermometers that you can scan. It's got like a little laser on it. So I kind of know. They make that new thermopin that's got the little laser in it. It's really easy to find something out to learn grate temp. And for cooking steaks, I really want it. Um, 550 to 600 right in that range is about perfect for me now if it gets up to 700 that's fine but that's just that's going to lower your time but for for me doing like the two minute because i used to grill grates i love grill grates for, for cooking steak i like grilling anything because it's like an aluminum if you don't know what it is it's an aluminum set of grates that sits over your existing grate and it puts those restaurant quality sear marks on food it also you know, prevents flare. Yeah, well, that's that's it, it radiates even. the temp even. That aluminum conducts it real well, so that so it absorbs it out, spreads it out all over that whole grilling surface. It's they the way they connect together. They kind of have these grooves. They slide in, and they have a little flat area, and there's little holes in it to let some heat up through it. But it blocks a lot of your drippage, so you're not getting flare ups like you would if you're cooking just over like a standard grate right over your coals, and it allows you to cook up to those high temps. Mm -hmm. Without having to worry about, you know, fire blazing it up. I won't grill without a grill grate just because the flare-ups, I don't like the flare-ups. And yeah. that's, you know, that was no, it can. Now, I'm going to say it can flare up <laughs> if you put enough fat on it, you know. But, yeah. I, I, it I does. Mean, it's very rare. Like, the only time I really see it flare up is like we're brushing it with a lot of butter or something like that. But 550 to 600, perfect grilling temp. So, when we're talking about, you know, great temps and stuff, um, one that we get a lot is my cooking dial, the dial on the outside of my cooker is reading one temp, and then my I've got a great temp, and it's reading, you know, 100 degrees hotter or 50 degrees hotter. Well, that, I always... Which one, do, which one do they go by? I always go by great temp. That's where your food is. A lot of times, I mean, you know, these companies, they'll just throw any thermometer on their grill. And, Especially and, cheap and right, or what, you got to think of where that probe is reading. That's not, it's not a true indication of what exactly temperature you're cooking. Um, you know, I, I always preach cook by temp, but it's really should be cooked by great temp. And that's the only way to know that is to get you one of those, you know, little clips that you can clip right on your grate. You know what the temp is there. Because that's where your food's sitting. I mean, is there a big difference in it? Say, like, I mean, on some of my cookers, there's probably not a big difference of where it is. But a lot of it I know. So, okay. Well, when you're cooking at 250, it's not going to be that big of a difference. Yeah, right, right. It's not It's not like it, great temp's going to be 500 yeah. and you got the dial on 250. But could it be, do, could it be 275 and the dial says 225, 250? Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen it a lot. And that, that, comes, that comes into knowing your cooker, knowing what it's cooking at. 
I mean, you can, you'll know if that's the, if the meat starts browning up, making bark on it faster than you than you think it should. It, whatever that dial's reading, it's cooking hotter. If it's taking forever to get there, and but your dial's reading one thing, it's not you know it's reading a lot lower. But you always want to check that great temp to see to learn what you know the hot spots in your cooker. What you know what what that temperature, what the meat's sitting at, what temperature is it? A lot of it comes down to how the heat's coming in that cooker. You know, it's, it might be coming in closer to that grate than it is up there in the area where that dial is. Or it might be rolling in the top closer to where the dial is so it's hotter up there. Now that just takes a little time. Do the old biscuit test. As I was to say, Johnny <laughs> Trigg always says, get you some cheap canned biscuits. What biscuits. What biscuits. Throw them on the cooker and see which ones brown the first. Yeah, that's where your hot spots are. And if they're all cooking at the same thing, hey, you got a good you got a good smoker because <laughs> that's a, it's very rare that there's not hot spots. But you'll know, okay, well that's my hotter area, so I'm gonna put my probe over here. I'm gonna see what it is over here, and then wherever that cold area was, move it over there. Okay, I know there's that much difference, so if I need to move something around, yeah. And that's I mean that just comes in learning that smoker and learning you know barbecue. If something's getting done a little too fast, you know you know to move it to the yeah move it to the slow, slow side, side. Move, it, move it where it's a little bit cooler. Use you gotta use a little common sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, so here's a good one. Um, where do you place your meat probe when you're cooking a brisket? Does it go in your flat? Does it go in your point? I always I always put it in the flat, and I like to put it in. I, I kind of think of my brisket. This is this comes from comps from thinking like in the competition mind that I don't want to mess up the center part of my best part of my flat. So I always stick it in that area that's right in front of that. So I kind of break my flat down into... Well, let's talk about the brisket first of all. So there's a flat and a point. Which one's the flat? Yeah. Which one's the point? The flat's the long, um, the long, I guess you would say muscle. The that's biggest piece. The biggest, it's usually the biggest piece. It's right on the front. So it's on top of the point. Um, the fat cap will be on the bottom. Um, the flat is uniform. You know, usually it's about, I would say, I don't know, an inch to two inches thick all the way across. And that's the slicing part of the brisket. The point's your fattier end. It's you know it's the pointy end. If you're looking at a brisket, it comes up kind of to a point back there. That's where a lot more of your fat, a lot more of your marbling is. Uh, they're separated by a big thick deckle of fat. That's yeah. kind of connects them together. <clears throat> but a lot of times you can see you know you, I don't see a lot of points sold separately, but you can't you do see just brisket flats a lot of times. But that's that's the part I'm worried about cooking, because one thing we cook them whole. I don't separate them. I do trim a lot of the fat off. Just to get it down to even size. Well, hold on now, you've got a video where you separate them to make the brisket burn in. Well, yeah, I mean, I, there is times where you separate them, but we're talking about cooking a whole brisket. Where do I put the Where do I put the thermometer? Yeah, I'm gonna put it in the front section of that flat, right in front of my best pieces, where I want my best slices to come from. So that's kind of the heart of the flat, the middle section. Just because I don't want the probe in those slices in case it leaves any type of hole or you know mark where it was stuck in. And you don't stick it in the point because that's more forgiving. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know you know I know the point's always going to be behind a little bit. There's more fat in it, and I'm not really worried about the temp in it. Uh, typically, typically I'm setting my uh, thermometer for 198 degrees, and that's when it, when that flat starts getting up to there is when I start checking it. And at that point, I really don't care what temp it gets to because I'm going by feel. I want it to slide in, almost no resistance, just to you know feel like a, a they say feel like a knife going in the warm stick of butter sitting on the counter. It just glides in, you know, it's not pushing back. That's the resistance I'm looking for. Um, usually it's about 202 to 205, right in that range. Uh, the point needs to go up to 210 degrees. I've, I've seen a point go to 215 degrees to render out all that fat. 
So, you know, there's difference. <clears throat> what we do a lot of times is we're, we're making burn ends out of the point. So we'll get our flat just right, take it off, slice it, take a knife and slice right through where, you know, that thick area of fat is to separate them. And then cover the flat up, stick it in a dry cooler or a cambro, and then we'll cube our point up and then put it back on to finish rendering it out. And at that time, we're kind of just going by feel again. It's not really what internal temperature those burnt ends are at that point. They're going by feel. We're trying to render all the fat in them. We're wanting them to be soft, have a really good mouth feel. And that's that's kind of what it's all about. So watch what put your if you're looking for a place to stick your brisket. Stick it right in the front part of the flat, not on the edge, right kind of in that front. Just think of breaking it up into like a quarter section. So you got a quarter up front, 50% of that the flat is the middle part, and then the quarter the back. Go in the middle of that first quarter, if that makes any sense. Yeah. <laughs> that might be a little crazy. <laughs> no, that makes sense to me. Uh, what about butts? Um, Pork butts. I usually try to stick them from the side right into this, the right behind the money muscle. So that that way I know what that's temperature the side is away there. From your, 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 that's the side away from your bone. Yeah, yeah. You, it's in front of the bone. You don't want to get too close to the bone because the bone, you know, will radiate heat and give you false readings. But I, I usually try to go in the butt. You know, I don't go right through the money muscle because I don't want to. It's like the flat. I don't want to leave any holes in it or you know any marks. And so I'm kind of worried about what it is right behind it. And then I can use my thermopin and probe that money muscle to see if it feels right, to see if it's soft. Because I know once it gets up to, you know, a little bit over 190, that money muscle is going to be done. But and that's when I need to start watching it. Oh, if I'm just cooking it for home, I'm just, man, I'm still going to stick the probe in that same spot, run it up to about 198 degrees and cambro it or dry cooler it for a couple hours. And that butt's just going to. The bone, it's going to spit the bone out. Yeah. And it's going to pull apart. It's going to be juicy because I let it rest and slow down. It's not going to be dry. I like to say it had the butts have an instant rate thermometer already built into them. Because when that bone will come slide right out, they're done. Yeah. Especially for eating butts. Um, well, how long do you let your meat sit after you season it? Um, so you season I don't like it. it I don't yeah. like it to sit too long. But I do, you know, a couple hours is fine on big cuts. Uh, ribs, usually when we're seasoning ribs, they're going right on the pit. I mean, I'm not, you know, maybe 30 minutes, maybe no more than an hour. I'm letting them sweat and they're going on. Uh, chicken doesn't really matter because it kind of, I look at chicken as it already starts kind of a dry brine process. So it's going to, you know, pull out some moisture, but the chicken. And a lot of times it's you're, chicken, you're chicken. brine and chicken. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it's got some flavor in it anyway. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You can season chicken the day before and it'd still be fine just have it in the refrigerator or cooler uh, a butt or a brisket i like to go two hours that's about the perfect time um i mean i wouldn't go i don't like to go more than four or five hours but you know some guys they'll season them the night before and put them on the next morning that to me to me it's going to set yourself up for making the outside tough that bark gets tough Especially if you're trying to slice your brisket, it'll make it crumble out and it just changes the texture so much. Because you gotta think the salt and the sugars in the rub is working on that outer surface and it's really drying that area out. And so, yeah, it might make a good bark, but the texture on it is not gonna be good. It's gonna make it tough. And a lot of times you'll pull your butts out, season them, and let them kind of come up to room temp as they're sitting there. Yeah, yeah, and they're sweat. That's, what, that's what we're talking about, the sweating process. It's it's uh, pulling some moisture out of the butt. It really starts the cooking process. And that's why I think a couple hours is great because the salts and the sugars 
are pulling moisture out, but they're also putting flavor in at the same time. And a little bit of it's great. That's why a couple hours works real, really good. But not overnight. But yeah, I wouldn't do it. You don't do it overnight. Yeah, I, don't. Yeah. Um, I have. I didn't like the texture. How do you select cooking knives? We've well, already talked about this one yeah. a little bit. Well, I mean, to me, just a good knife is is one that works. I hold the edge, and then I can resharpen pretty quick. That's why I'm a big fan of those Dexter Russells with the little sand safe grip. You know, it's just that hard plastic textured a little bit grip. Those knives, are, they're inexpensive, but you can sharpen them really easy with a set of crock sticks. And they will, you know, if you throw them around, bang them around, they get nicked up. It's not, it doesn't cost you that much. Yeah. If they're I lose one of them, I don't, yeah. 10 bucks to 20 bucks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is, I mean, there's some good, yeah, I've got some super expensive knives. I've got some shun knives that those knives are all 150 bucks Boost each. Off, yeah. Yeah. But I don't, but you know, and I take real special care of those. I do like those knives, but I don't really use them all the time. Yeah. I find myself going to the Dexter Russells just because. I'm comfortable using them, and, and you know, I can put a good sharp blade on them real fast and throw them in a the drawer. I don't have to put them in a knife case or whatever. <laughs> I just bang them around. I'll run them through the dishwasher. Yeah, I don't care. They're, yeah. they're cheap to us. Yeah. But they, they're they quality enough to where you can hit them a few licks on those ceramic rods that steel rod, and they come right back to life. Mm -hmm. Well, like we're going to do this catering job. We're taking Dexter Russell's. We're oh, not yeah. taking the show. Heck no, I'm not taking my expensive knife. I don't want to lose them. <laughs> Those, you know, that's my expensive knives are kind of like my, it's like my smoker habit. Those are my collectors. <laughs> I have them because I like them. I'll get them out and use them every once in a while just to see how sharp they are and feel them. But they're not my, I'm not a, I'm not, a, I'm not a chef, and it's yeah. not like that's my tools of the trade. Those are my baby knives. You know, that, that's not the ones that I want to just grab and go to working on something with. You know, well, cutting through bone and well, hacking, gonna, hacking at a piece yeah, of wood. Or, I'm not gonna wash those shun knives. I've yeah. cut myself before. Yeah. I'm not gonna wash them, so he has to hand wash them, and <laughs> I'm not gonna do it. Ah, so. well, you know, I, that's another thing with those knives. With my expensive knives, I, as soon as I use one, I go wash it, clean it, put it right, in the back of its little sheath, and put it right back yeah. up. I don't. I mean, I know, I know enough to take care of them. Yeah. Um. What's the easiest way to remove membrane from ribs? The easiest way is just to grab a paper towel and get you a butter knife or a spoon and use the back end of a spoon and slide it under there enough. Just you kind of raise, raise that membrane up enough where you can get a hold of it. I try to work my finger under it and then grab a paper towel and just peel it right off. And Nothing it, to yeah, it. Yeah, and it normally comes off really yeah. easily. I, well, I've seen some people struggle with... Some people do, and most of the time it's not their fault. It's because those ribs have been cut. I've seen a lot of times when you know, when they're processed, the ribs will they'll cut the backside of that rib a couple mm -hmm. times, and that sets you up for failure already trying to take the membrane off. you got to work at those. Yeah. But still, uh, grabbing them with the paper towel gives you a little more leverage, a little more grip, and lets you get all that little pieces off. I would say always pull your membrane off when you're doing comp, but... If you're, just Conch, cooking, yeah. if you're just cooking at home, you could leave them on. There's some people that like might like to eat them. I brain. personally don't. But if I was gonna, if I was gonna leave it on, I'd at least score it. Yeah, you know, because it's, it like, it's not good. It gets crispy and yeah. there's seasoning on it. I... You're you're a membrane locker, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> That comes from a lifetime of eating bad ribs. <laughs> Maybe. As a kid. Yeah, I think it's older uh, from me. <laughs> From a kid. Didn't know any better. What's well, like bologna sandwiches? You still like bologna sandwiches? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love bologna. <laughs> Do 
Can I use pork loin for pulled pork? No. Why? No. Because the tip, you have to cook pork loin so long to get it to pull, it's just going to be dry crap. I mean, yeah. it's not going to be good. I guess there, and when we get this question, people are usually thinking it's going to be leaner, so therefore it's going to be healthier. Yeah, no, no. Pork loin is meant to be cooked to about 145. As far as I would take it, probably, I recommend that. Don't take it any further. It should be too dry. But if you're talking about taking pork loin up to 190-something degrees, it's just mush. I mean, if, even if you can pull it, it's mushy. It's not, and the textures, that's where you talk about getting that peanut butter mouthfeel texture. It just, when you put it in your mouth, it's, it's horrible. It's yeah. horrible. And, you know, if you don't, when you cook whole hogs, and the, you know, the people that overcook their loin, it's, that's what it is. And they might not be cooking them to about 175, but they're still just not worth eating at that point. It's not good barbecue. Not at all. I don't care what you do to it. When you cook it enough to pull it, it's not good. Well, that was a quick and easy question. Yeah, just don't do it. Don't do it. Just get a pork butt. Yeah. What What other pork can you use for pulled pork? Butts, shoulders? Hams, picnic roast. Well, picnic roast is just the other half of the shoulder. You yeah. know. Uh, ham, you can pull ham. Uh, there's it's people a little that, more dry. Yeah, it, I mean it's it's still good, but, but it is it's a different texture. Ham. Yeah, you gotta get an uncured ham. You're not going and getting your holiday, Christmas or Easter ham. Those won't work. They've already been cured. We're talking, but it's very rare. You don't really see raw ham. Yeah, you know, it's hard. Ham. You really have to source it. Yeah, um, but you can make pulled barbecue with it. The head, head makes great pulled barbecue. The jowls, uh, all that meat around the temple, the eyes. Now I know somebody that's going to eat. Pulled, pulled pork loin. It's not going to want to <laughs> cook the head. But the head's probably some of the best meat that I've ever had. You can do Besides belly. the belly. The belly's great for pulling, too. And that one, yeah. That's that's really the opposite direction of, of a pork loin versus yeah. belly. You know, talking about fat ratio. It's probably about 50, 50 to 60% fat in that belly. But, man, it makes good. That's that's the best. That's a good pulled pork mm -hmm. there. What, um, so let's talk about the rules you have for freezing and thawing your meat you know when, when you bring it home from the grocery store and it's not froze will you put it in the freezer um yeah depending if especially especially from the grocery stores you don't know how long it depends on when i'm gonna cook it yeah. if i'm cooking a day or two it's fine three days is pushing a lot of it now beef you get a little more away uh, you know a little bit more lee room chicken after a couple of days it you better freeze it it's gonna run fast uh pork most of that pork that's been packaged has a 30-day shelf life. The problem is you don't know how long it's been in the grocery store or how long they've had it back in the back in refrigeration. So um, it's ha I, bought, I bought pork butts, and they've lasted four or five days in the fridge. I bought them, and after two days, I opened them up, and they've turned. So I don't like to go too long you know, on something well, like what's that. What's the rule on freezing and unfreezing and thawing? You know? I mean, I, don't, I only want to you know, do it once. Because most of it, I mean, if you thaw something most out. of it, like, you know, the chicken, even though it says fresh chicken, it's probably been froze. So the more times that you put it back in there and freeze it, and you unthaw it, you don't want to refreeze it again. That's that's probably the most you can do is that one cycle. Um, same rules. I, I use that same rule for pork and beef. I don't like to go through too many freeze-thaw, freeze-thaws, because 
it denatures the muscles. That's every time you're you're putting something in there, whatever moisture's in that meat is freezing. It's making you know when when uh, water or moisture freezes, it's really at the microscopic level. It's, it forms these crystals. Well, those crystals tear up all that meat structure, the protein structure that's in there, and that's and so it turns it messes your moisture, your, it messes your texture up, it messes the moisture up because once it thaws out, it just comes out. The meat won't hold it anymore. I don't care if you inject it or what. You've already denatured all that meat. And so it's it's just not the same. So really, um, one freeze thaw cycle is is about all I would ever go. I like to get it all fresh. And there's some people that you know they'll ship you they'll ship you fresh meat. I mean, a lot a lot of the pork you can get fresh never froze pork. Chicken says it, but most of the people you talk to in chicken business will tell you they freeze it. Yeah, they have to. They just don't last. They don't have the shelf life. If I cook several butts or so, you know, several pieces of meat at a time, does it increase my cook time? Yes. Anytime you're uh, putting more volume into your smoker, it's going to change the cook time because it changes the airflow, the way the heat's, uh, you know, moving around in there. Now, there's, you know, there's probably um, times where you don't, you know, if you don't have it, like say you cook two pork butts, but it's not restricting too much airflow. Two pork butts should cook about the same as one. It depends on the size and the volume of, of the, your cook chamber. And your airflow. That's what, yeah, and your airflow. That's what that's what it'll change it. Whenever you're restricting it, slowing it down, it's going to slow down cook time. If you've got your cooker loaded down. Oh yeah, it's going. I mean, any of them, it's going to slow it way down if yeah. it's loaded down. If you have it, if you put, well, you got an old hickory. Yeah. And you got plenty of capacity on your old right, hickory. Right, right. If you put four put pork butts on that, it's old not going to change it at yeah. all. But if I put thirty six. And I got all those racks packed. Yeah, it changes it big time. I have to rotate the racks. I have to move it around. I mean, even though there's air flowing, you still, you've got all that mass in there. And so it slows it down. Yeah. And that's just, that's true for all meat. Yeah, that's all true. For, that's true. For, yeah. yeah. Anytime you load it up like that, that's true for all of it. Because yeah. you're restricting airflow. I said, what's next, Shell? We get a lot of questions about people wanting to make their own rubs and sauces at home. Yeah. Not necessarily for commercial, you know, just to sell or whatever. They just want to make their own rubs and sauces at home. I don't know why. I mean, I No, I say go for it. Why not? That's what we did, you know, when we first started. Um, It goes back to, you know, you think everybody thinks they cook better than everybody else. I mean, they wouldn't be doing it if you didn't. Or you want to make it your own. I'm a big man. I I want people to use their own stuff or to add to. That's a good way to do it. Start. We'll, We'll touch on that, but... The important thing is that, yeah, make your own rubs and sauces. There's a book that I recommend to a lot of people. Paul Kirk has a book called Championship Rubs yes, and Sauces. Yes, I got it. And, I, yeah. you know, it's a, that was a big reference for me when I started making stuff. But he stuff. kind of shows you how to build your own rubs mm-hmm. and your own sauces. Um, I will say that it's so much easier just to go buy a good commercial product. You know, whatever's yeah. your favorite, go buy a good commercial product. Because it's expensive to buy all the ingredients. Seasons, yeah. And well, what I was going to say that I would like to take a rub to, as a base rub and start with that. Yeah. You can add to it, you know, say, take our rub, for instance. If you don't, if you think it needs more heat, add some more heat. If you think it needs more salt, add some salt. And I mean, a lot of people do that. Yeah. And, you know, when we're we first started, rubs. hey, just about everybody I know used old number five. That was a base rub for a lot of rubs back in the day. I mean, in the comp world, you know, there wasn't that many rubs out for sale back then. So we all did it. We'd start with number five, and we'd add this and add that. And 
all of a sudden we had our own blend and then originally what everybody started doing he figured out okay what's well, in that number five so we you know break that <laughs> down because it's just it's a ratio like paul's got in his book yeah. about you know so much sugar so much salt so much pepper and it just breaks it down to like this this is good ratios to use and man i'm all for people making their own rubs and sauces i think it gets gets people cooking there's unique stuff out there and it feels you feel good about barbecue when you've made everything that you've done with it. Yeah, you know? and especially if it I mean, I won't good. be able to buy my rubs and sauces. Don't <laughs> get me wrong, but I think it's great when somebody's got their own. And I've had people send me their stuff, and you know, try taste this and see what you think. I've done a lot of that. Yeah, and it's 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 pretty cool to to see you know what's out there. Um, and a lot of people use blends. They'll take multiple sauces and combine it and make their own. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, blend. yeah. And especially comps. Yeah. We layer. You know, people are layering stuff. Use it, mix the stuff with sauces, and it's, you know, Frankenstein up all kinds of stuff. <laughs> to capitalize on smoke, what do you recommend throwing in the smoker toward the end of the smoke? Toward the end of it, let's see. Hmm, I, first thing on my mind is throw some wood chips on top of your fire. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot. I know a lot of guys do that. that but we're talking like the end of your smoke is when we're glazing. And because. It's, it's it's a little tricky to do. The reason why they use wood chips is because it's not as strong. Because at that point, you can put way too much smoke on your meat. Because that you got to think that sauce, really sauce is kind of like a sponge. Point. And it's going to soak up whatever flavor is in that cooker. So, you know, if you want to accent, you want to drive a little more smoke on your barbecue, you can add a little wood at the end when you're glazing. But you have to be careful. Because it will over smoke it real fast mm -hmm. and like like you said i would probably use chips and i'd be using like fruit chips i wouldn't use i wouldn't i'm not throwing you know hickory on there i'm not throwing oak or definitely not mesquite or anything like that really i'm using just, peach i'm using apple i'm using a little bit of cherry i really but, you just want just enough yeah just just some light smoking give you I mean, 20 minutes of smoke. Yeah, yeah yeah that's it and a if that burns smoke. out that's good that's good um it's a good idea. It's a good trick. It's a good idea to drive some smoke flavor, but you have to be real careful with it. So this one I kind of put together for myself because people always ask us, um, you know, do you wrap ribs or do you cook this style or do you cook this style? And really, there's no one way to cook, you know, good barbecue. You use all different methods. You use all different styles. It depends on what you want your final product to be. Yeah. It depends so on to, it's completely you, up how to you, you want to cook that day. How you want to do it. Is one better than the other? I would say no. Yeah. I mean, I use aluminum foil just as much as I use butcher paper. Uh, I you wrap, wrap versus, versus as much as yeah. not wrap it. It just depends on what I'm feeling, what I'm wanting to accomplish that day. Well, are there any... Well, the question is, are there any hard and fast rules you always follow? Just time and temp. I'm always, you know, I always know what my temperature, what temperature I want to cook at, and I always know what final target temp, and I have me a good thermometer, and, you know, we've been asked that before, what's my number one piece of barbecue equipment other than my smoker? It's my thermopin. I've got, I, I cook to temp, everything we do cooks to temp, so that's the hard and fast rule that you, that I would suggest you follow is cook is learning how to cook the tip, learn how to control your smoker. So you get and you got it. Yeah, tips. if you get, if you can do that, man, you can cook anything. And you can put your spin on flavors and techniques and you can take, you know, take from one recipe and and, and a little bit from another and make it your own. That's what's great about it. And hey, maybe invent something new that nobody's tried. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's really and that's really what what it is all about. It's, yeah. it's cooking, having a good time with it. I mean, 
you got to learn to cook the tip, though. Cook the internal tip. And know your, when the food's done. Holding your smoker at the right time. Holding your, controlling your smoker, whatever whatever it is. If it's a brick pit, if it's a hole you dug in the ground, whatever it is, you know, you got to learn how to control it, how to, how to manage that fire. And once you got that, heck, you're a pit master. There ain't no class <laughs> that can give you that. <laughs> All of a sudden, you know what you're doing. You're, you know, you're mastering that fire. You're mastering that smoke. And those are, that's what you take your only two hard. Yeah, fast that's rules. the hard fast rules. You know, steady temp while cooking. Learn, and learn how to control temps. whatever your whatever equipment you're using, and learn how to cook the tip. What would your last meal be? <laughs> Ooh, man. Do I get to cook it, or am I just to get to eat it? I don't know. Just to. A 250 pound whole hog. It's gonna take me a long time to get through that. I'm gonna go slow and get every bit of it. I don't want a steak, that's too quick. Or maybe a whole cow. Can I go, you ever seen a whole cow? I'm trying to drag it out. Well, you know, this isn't on my list, but it just popped in my mind. Uh, if you had to get rid of one, if you could never eat hog, if you could never eat beef, or pork, which would you choose? Would you oh choose beef goodness. or would you choose pork? That's so tough. <laughs> Can I pick chicken? No. Yeah, get I, rid of I chicken. I would pick beef. I would pick beef. You'd get rid of beef or you'd keep the beef? Man, bacon is good. I know. Sausage is good. Pork is way bacon. more versatile. Yeah. I mean, beef, you but know, beef's good. I love a steak. Oh. I love a good steak, but man, it'd have to be beef. I hate, I hate it, cows. You, you gotta go, because I'm keeping my hogs. <laughs> I know you get sausage and yeah. bacon. And I was thinking, can I get rid of chicken? I was like, man, I don't want to get rid of chicken either. I love chicken. We eat chicken all the time. <laughs> but it'd have to be beef. It'd probably have to be beef. I can go, well, I mean, I can still go kill me a deer. So yeah. I, I, I can get some red meat, you know. Still, There's buffalo. You didn't say buffalo. I can see. I can eat. Oh, yeah, it's cows. I'm getting rid of cows. I'm know. keeping my hogs. I don't know which one I'd go. We're not the killer 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 cows competition <laughs> team. We're the killer hogs. I'm keeping my hogs. I don't know which one I'd go. There's something about that a perfect bite of ribeye, medium rare. Yeah, spinalis. I can do that with deer meat. No, you can't. You cannot <laughs> do that with deer meat. Yeah, I you can. cannot. <laughs> all right. Well, you know, I, we've gone through all our questions for this week. I'd like to do this again and just keep this going. Yeah, I love, you know, I like the question and answer because really that is a big part of what we do mm -hmm. is trying to answer people's questions and help them cook better. So that's, you know, that's why we, end, I like to end these podcasts where if you've got any questions, you can always, always send them to us. And it might take us a while to answer them. It might if take we a couple days. But yeah, if we, if we don't there. answer them, please send them again and say, hey, I sent you this because we will get it. It is I mean, I check my email. Shell, Shell goes behind me and checks my email. She checks her email. Um, Shell, tell, tell them where they can send them. If you want to contact Malcolm or send any questions that would you would like to see on the podcast in the future, it's How to Barbecue Right at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you'd like to connect with me, it's Miss Southern Shell at Instagram and Twitter. She likes those questions, too. She gets a lot of them on her Instagram. <laughs> no one ever asks me questions. That's okay. Yeah. You can send them to Malcolm. We'll get them. Yeah, we'll um, get them answered. But you know, that's part of big part of what we do. So. And I'd like to, you know, keep compiling new questions and do a part three. Yeah. Question and well, It's going to end up being a book one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> how to how to Q and A book or something? Because we have. I mean, we've got thousands and thousands of them. Yeah. 
And uh, you know, we haven't done as good of a job cataloging them as we should. Or yeah. Any job of cataloging them until now. You know, when I started needing them for the podcast. Yeah. We got to do a better job of that. Well, you no, know, we talked briefly about we got a catering job coming up this weekend. Um, it'll we got be Fourth July recipe to shoot. Fourth of June, week. yeah. We're shooting that one next week because you know I don't. I hadn't thought that far ahead. I don't know what it, it's going to be. Something good, I hope. You said something about uh, salt and pepper pork butt. Yeah, yeah, I may do. I was thinking, I was thinking kind of, you know, I did a Texas style rib, and I've never done like a Texas style pork butt where you just do a. It's it. Well, it's kind of like weekend. a. Yeah, I, I did one just to cook to eat here at the house. I made tacos out of it. It's excellent. But what I like about it is just that old school, no wrap, uh, ultimate bark on it. It's crispy. It's got flavor through and through. Don't have to inject. You don't have to do anything fancy to it. You just cook it. Did you trim that pork butt at all? Heck no. But you know what I did do? I scored the top fat to where it kind of made like all these little bit of crunchy, fatty, deliciousness pieces (laughs) on top. And I cooked it fat up to where the fat rendered down. Man, those those bites were so good. And you weren't here when I did it, so you didn't get to eat any of those as they come off. Mm-mm, Man, they not were when it's hot. But that's probably, you know, I might do that for Thanksgiving. Oh, for Thanksgiving. I might do that <laughs> for 4th of July. I'm, I'm, right, I'm jumped to November. Wow. Please don't do I'm that. really ahead. Yeah, no, but, but that's, you know, we're going to do something along those lines. I've been wanting to do some more burger recipes. It's been a while since I've done a burger. Yeah. And then, man, I've got... I've got so much Bologna I want to do. Bologna burn ends. I did do those out in Vegas. They were they good. Were they were really good. Um, but man, what else was it I want to do? I just want to do some deer roll ups. I hadn't, you know, want some more deer recipes. So we got a bunch of stuff on tap to do. I've uh, been really wanting to do pork belly tacos. Yeah. But since Shane came and did those tacos, I didn't want to put another taco recipe out there. That's coming. And I may do That's that. What I do for Labor Day. Yeah, that might be a good Labor Day recipe. Yeah. But I got, uh, you know, I've got Kendall wants to come do some cooking. I got yeah, some he's of the other do guys. A no, he's wanting to do lobster mac and cheese. What got me excited? Yeah. I don't know what steak. I don't know what piece of beef it was. When he said lobster mac and cheese, I tuned <laughs> out on the protein. I was like, what? <laughs> yes, yes, you can come cook that. I, think I might just set the camera up and tell him to record, just so he'll come cook it so we can eat it. <laughs> yeah, we, we got this. <laughs> come on, Kendall. No, we're going to reshoot that one. <laughs> but yeah, that's so we've got, you know, and I've got some other people that want to come cook some mm-hmm. stuff. I want to get some of the steak team guys uh, cooking some steaks. We're going to be doing steaks. some steak team videos. So, um, it's going to be a fun summer. And we're going to have Mark Williams from Swine Life on here in the next week or two talking about cooking the perfect steak. Yeah, yeah. Man, he's been cooking them on that grill, a pellet grill, and he, he finished third. He might have finished the highest ever in a pellet grill contest last weekend. Where was we at? Win, Arkansas. He just likes to challenge himself. Yeah. He won so many on a regular yeah. PK. We were cooking on a He did it. It was some good steak. I yeah. tried it, man. It was. I mean, you couldn't tell. You, you was, It was just perfectly cooked steaks. Mark so. cooks more steaks than anybody. He cooks them at home constantly, you know? I bet he's Emily, always I bet steak queen's sick of steaks. <laughs> yeah, and he's married to the steak queen. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in today. This has been episode 12. We've had a good time. Uh, you know, like Shell said, you can get in touch with us in those questions and comments, and we'll see y'all next time.